Welcome back to Round Guy, the podcast. We have a very special guest today talking about the Fairfield Carnegie Library Museum with the director, Mark Schaefer, who was a retired teacher, polio survivor, and uh, uh, the director of of the Carnegie Library, full of uh, lots of interesting facts. Uh, Round Guy, go ahead and uh, introduce uh, Mark. Well, good morning, Mark. I'm tickled to reach you and visit about your library. Well, I'm tickled to have you reach me as well. So, well, uh, Mark, I'm probably as as ignorant uh, as to what your library and museum uh, holds for for folks that want to stop in and visit with it. Uh, when we when we do these podcasts. Uh, the, the reality is, is that uh, there's a good portion of Iowa that that's not familiar with, with it. A lot of people locally probably aware of what you have, but there again, I'm, I'm thinking there's a good portion of the state that that may not have ventured to your fair city and and your library. Tell us all about it. Well, we're actually in the former library building. Um, the new library was built in 1995, I believe. But we're in the original uh, Carnegie Library, so that's why we call ourselves the Carnegie Historical Museum. Uh, we're actually the uh, Iowa Century Museum. We got that designation oh, a while back. Uh, we're older than 1876, but we can't prove it. We formerly thought 1877 was the earliest date for our collection. But then I ran across a little uh, little picture frame with an inscription on the back that said, donated to the Fairfield Library Museum in, I believe, May of 1876. So that pushes us back to the fifth oldest museum in Iowa. We were tied for fifth with uh, another museum, but we're a year older than they are. So we've got that feather to put in our cap. The building is on the National Register of Historic Places. And it has been for, oh gosh, 20 or 30 years. And we're often billed as the first Carnegie Endowed Library west of the Mississippi, which is true. But the only libraries east of the Mississippi are in Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, I believe. And they were endowed by Andrew Carnegie or his steel workers. And if my research is correct, and I, I'm welcome welcoming any kind of correction that may come forth. But from my research, our building is the prototype for 1,689 Carnegie libraries throughout the country. And then there were others built, oh, I think in Scotland and England. I'm not sure where all. But anyway, uh, we like to think of our building as being our most important artifact. Where does the name Carnegie come from? Well, Andrew Carnegie was uh, a wealthy industrialist, uh, a steel uh, baron, and uh, he came to America as a young man, I think with $5 in his pocket, and he ended up being vastly wealthy, and uh, I don't know if he was the richest man in the world, but close to it, and I'm guessing he had some twinges of guilt thinking about all the people he stepped on to climb the ladder of success. 
And so he made a vow that he would die as poor as he was when he came into the world, which was, you know, way down there. So he got the uh, notion to start building libraries for different communities. And the reason Fairfield was at the top of the list is that our then U.S. Senator was from Fairfield. His name is James Falconer Wilson. And it and his home and and uh, business address are also in the National Register. Anyway, he was a U.S. representative during the Civil War. And after the war, he went to work for the railroads. And I'm guessing that that's how he knew Carnegie. Uh, no doubt there was some steel purchase for the railroad. And so as one of the founding uh, board members for our local library, uh, he felt comfortable approaching Carnegie, who gave, I believe, $40,000 to build our current home. And Wilson donated the lot on which the uh, building stands. So that's where Andrew Carnegie comes from. And, and you say that he was responsible for building uh, libraries all over the country? Yes. So, you know, Atama has, has one, and oh my gosh, they're everywhere. Eldon has one, Mount Pleasant has one. But there were, if my records are correct, 1,689 libraries were built with funds donated by Andrew Carnegie. And how many of them are here in Iowa? Oh my gosh, I don't know, I'd have to look it up. But I think there's one in almost every county. Wow. Waterloo has two. Has two. Well, Fairfield had two. Waterloo's, I believe, are public libraries. They're like branch libraries. The second one in Fairfield was uh, Parsons College. The Carnegie uh, Library Building, Museum Building, was built in the early 1890s, 92 or 3. I see both dates, and I never know which one's right. Anyway, the Parsons College Library was more like 1907, 1908, something like that. But usually it was with one Carnegie Library per community. And yet he, he's responsible for building uh, a lot of other libraries in the country, but would it be safe to say that he, he's responsible for the building of the most libraries in the state of Iowa? Probably. I had never thought of it like that, but I would guess so. Well, well now, we've got college libraries that are different than public libraries, but as far as public libraries go, uh, if you go back 50 years, you could probably say that. Uh, well, more, more like 100 years. Uh, what what do you suppose like, is the reason that he chose the state of Iowa to build a majority of, of these libraries. Well, he he got started because Fairfield's Senator Wilson uh, hogtied him and said, hey, you want to give us some money? And he did. Uh, I don't, I don't know. I just, it's just something that caught on and people went at it. I, I don't know enough about it to really give you a picture of how many, you know, what percentage of libraries were endowed in other states, but you know, if you're going to 1,600 libraries, uh, that's a lot of. That's a oh lot yeah. Of now, what what other kind 
your uh, museum part of this uh, library hold? Oh, goodness gracious. We've got everything but the kitchen sink. Uh, some of our collections predate the construction of the building. So, like, we have a nice little collection of Roman and Etruscan uh, sculptures and pottery. That collection is mentioned in the 1886 city directory. So that's pretty cool. Um, Senator Wilson, again, who got the library built, was also influential with the Smithsonian. And, of course, when the library building was built, by that time he'd gone back into politics and was our U.S. senator. And uh, he had connections with the Smithsonian, and they were running out of room, so started donating artifacts to other museums and libraries and, and so forth. And we got several shipments of artifacts for the new museum. And this included a lot of uh, pottery from the American Southwest. So we have one of the largest collections of Southwestern pottery uh, that you could ever hope for. Wow. Uh, oh, let's see. We've got, we've got good Civil War stuff. We have, oh gosh, we've got uh, a nice collection of World War II posters that came from a, a teacher in Birmingham, Lucille Sipe, uh, Jerry Swiger, he's now deceased, but he had had her as a teacher and somehow knew about these posters. I'm not sure how they came to us, but the Swiger family got those to us. Everything we've got in the museum is donated. Uh, we've got, let's see, Civil War stuff, you know, your generic pioneer tools, you know, all the Iowa pioneer stuff. We have a nice collection of Stevenson coverlets. Uh, Daniel Stevenson uh, was a professional weaver, probably the only professional weaver in the early days of Iowa. We have some coverlets of his that were woven between the 1850s and 1870s, and um, they're kind of cool to look at. We have tons of taxidermy. Most of it's 120 years old, and a lot of it was donated in 18, yeah, 1895 by a man named uh, Dr. Joshua Monroe Schaefer. And he's no relation to me. He doesn't spell his name right. Anyway, he donated his taxidermy collection. So we've got all this. We've got a little bit of everything. We've got a geode case. We've, we have... Um, the newest exhibits are in the old basement gallery, and I have some of my board members that have really taken that on as a project, and they're developing. It's like a it's like a Jefferson County uh, memorabilia room, and they've they've purged our files of I shouldn't say purged. They've uh, dug deep into the files and found all kinds of information about gas stations and hotels and motels and. Uh, factories, hospital, doctors, dentists. Uh, it goes on and on and on and on and on. And that's a that's become a real popular new uh, uh, attraction, especially for class reunions. Fairfield has changed so much in the last 50 years. And, oh, there was a reunion, oh, just a couple of months ago, and this gal that was looking at this new exhibit kind of teared up. She said, you know what? I come here to visit, and it's the town I remembered. But now that you have this gallery exhibit, I can come home again. So that was a real good feeling to know that my board members would 
produce something that pulls at somebody's heartstrings like that. Now you uh, you uh, you mentioned these files and all the information that's that's available. Uh-huh. Is that specific to uh, Fairfield or surrounding areas in Iowa? We it's mostly Jefferson Fairfield and Jefferson County. Uh, one of the aspects of this uh, gallery display that I just dis- described, one of our efforts is to document the little uh, outlying towns. Like Lockridge and Pleasant Plain and Libertyville, towns like that still exist. But then there are other towns like uh, Oak Coalport and Salina that, oh, there might still be some buildings there, but okay. they're not a town anymore. So just kind of keeping the memory of those bygone communities alive is, is part of our mission. Now, being that uh, Eldon, Iowa, is close to you folks and the famous uh, artist Grant Wood, do they yeah. have? Do you have anything relative to Grant Wood in your museum? I wish. Can't say that I do. I see. All right. Now. Uh, you know what, when we started the, the uh, interview, I mentioned, I said that, that uh, a lot of times we do these podcasts and talk about places and things available at these different towns and whatnot that a good many Iowans probably haven't heard of. It makes sense that, that uh, I've not heard of your library and museum, and it makes sense that, that uh, you continually uh, entertain people that say the same thing. Do you not? That would be correct. And uh, it's like anything. It's just hard to get the word out. You know, we operate with mostly volunteers. And uh, we put things on Facebook, put things in the paper, make announcements on the radio. But I've had people come up there that they've been in a business asking directions to the museum two blocks from us. And locals don't even know about it. So... We're a, we're a well kept secret, not that we want to be secret, but it's just uh, it's just hard to get people to notice. Well, uh, take a moment, and let us in on on the ability to do that, to do just that. Uh, what kind of social media websites uh, do you have that you can tell our listeners where they can catch up with with more information about your it sounds like a wonderful uh, library and museum. Yeah, well, we're not a library. We're in the old library building. Oh, okay. But that's okay. The new library is a couple of blocks away. And old-timers that remember the museum as the third floor of the library still refer to the library. And so they'll say, well, when you're up at the library, oh, I mean the museum, you know, that kind of a thing. The main floor of the library uh, building is now a satellite campus for Indian Hills Community College out of Ottumwa. And so they're open Monday through Thursday. Our hours, we've upgraded, we're open more than we were. We're now open um, Tuesday through Saturday, 11 to 3, I think. It's so new, I, I'm not sure if that's the right hours or not, but I think it is. You come there at 2 o'clock, you're on a Tuesday through Saturday, you're guaranteed to find the door open. Okay. What about a website? Uh, well, yeah, that... 
yeah, you go to fairfieldmuseum.com. Uh, see, our email address is fairfieldmuseum at gmail.com. Um, we're on Facebook. Now, this is above my pay grade. I'm not real skillful with the techno stuff, but I've got a couple people on my board who post things on Facebook frequently, and I don't know if we're on Fairfield Memories yet or not. I think we might be. Um, because I think, see things pop up every once in a while, and I'll think, oh, good, they did that. So just kind of do a little bit of a search on the Internet, and you're bound to find something. And it'd be under uh, fairfieldmuseum.com? Yes. Or you could Google Carnegie Historical Museum. Um, either way. Okay, and Mark, you're uh, Mark Schaefer. You are the director of the museum. Yes, yes, I am. Okay, this part-time director, and we've got volunteers that fill in the gaps. When when I come to your museum, yes, and and at some point I will. I promise. You know, when the okay. weather when the weather warms up a little bit, uh, yep, yep. Uh, we don't have to battle the snowdrifts. What would be the one thing that you'd make sure I get to see before I leave? What's the item or oh, items oh that you're most proud of there? Don't get me started. You know, it's ironic that you ask that because we're a couple of my volunteers are are uh, doing some training for, for gallery sitters, and we're doing like an orientation. And one uh -huh. thing I've asked them to do is everybody have everybody pick out their favorite thing in the museum. And that is hard to do. I've asked my board members to do that as well. And we're having a heck of a time. But the first thing that came into my mind when you said that, I would want you to see the the Lincoln Funeral Escort Badge. And it's a little ribbon with a star, a gordered star, that uh, James F. Wilson wore as his ticket uh, on the funeral train, basically. And it has wow. It has a card attached to it, and one of them says to Washington and return. And then the other side was another another town. Uh, the train made several stops. I mean, there were funerals in, I'm going to say, at least five cities. And dignitaries would take turns riding the train, so everybody got a chance. So I tell people when they're looking at this ribbon, that they are as close to that ribbon would have been to Lincoln's body when Wilson had it on his lapel. And it, wow. it, it's, I get cold chills every time I tell somebody that. Now, the thing about, one of the reasons I'm proud of this thing is that I was going through old piles of stuff and trying to clean house a little bit. And I had my, I had my trash pile and I found this old uh, radial envelope. And I thought, well, this is no good. And I just, tossed it into the air, threw away, and as it flipped over, midair, I saw a number on the written on the corner. I thought, oh my gosh, that's a that's an accession number. So I opened it up, and uh, it's just a bunch of wadded up tissue paper. So I pulled it out. It was pieces of a, like a butterick dress pattern. Like my mom used to, when she sewed dresses in the 50s. I thought, oh, for heaven's sakes, why would anybody keep this piece of junk? 
So I just dumped everything out and out came this ribbon. And I saw that card that said to Washington in return, it had a black border on the card like they used to do to signify a, a period of mourning. And I knew right away that it was, it was from Lincoln's assassination. I just knew. So I designed a, a little black box with a glass top. It's sort of a cross between Napoleon's tomb and Snow White's casket. Anyway, you have to come up to this box and you have to bend over and look in to see uh, to see the ribbon. It's on a little pillow in there, and I've got a little I've got a box with little kids to stand on so they can see into it. But it's it's just a just that that interaction that having to bend over to to see the artifact uh, pays homage to Lincoln and uh, and it reduces time, com- compresses time. It's like you're almost there. Yeah. So it, it's a very, for me, it's very, very powerful. And we have a number of Lincoln artifacts. We have a, a campaign flag from 1860 that was carried in a, a, a rally. Because Lincoln was not there, but this was a rally that drew 25,000 people. And here again, James F. Wilson was part of that. He helped organize that rally. It was one of the largest ones in the state. Um, we have a spinning wheel that belonged to Ann Rutledge's mother. Uh, Lincoln lived at the Rutledge Inn as a young man in Salem, uh, New Salem, New Salem, Illinois. And Mrs. Rutledge moved to Birmingham, south of Fairfield, after Ann died and her husband died. She moved with, I think, eight kids, a widow in eight. 18, oh, what, 38 or so, and brought that wheel with her. So Lincoln would have stood that next to that wheel when he flirted with Ann uh, when she was doing her spinning at, at back at the old home place. Uh, we just, we've got some really nice Lincoln memorabilia that uh, makes a good display. Does that answer your question? Yeah, and it makes me more curious as to other things you have and fearful that that uh, you may have accidentally thrown out some things. No, I hope not. I, I'm a keeper. I don't throw things away lightly. I I, I hang on to things. Um, another thing. Another thing I really am intrigued by. We have three passenger pigeons, and of course, the passenger pigeon became extinct in 1913, or I think 13 or 14. I can never remember which. It doesn't matter. One of the passenger pigeons is actually a prop. Uh, a red-tailed hawk is eating him. And it's just the darndest thing. Here you've got this extinct species that you know, you'll never see one because they're gone. But to have him used so casually as a prop in a little uh, a little vignette like that is... is now, this would be part of the, the taxidermy? Yeah. Uh, Items that you have? Yes, and I don't know. I've got. It's going to take some doing, but we do have records of actually who did much of the taxidermy. And I don't know if this is the one of the J.M. Schaefer pieces or not, but uh, it's got a handwritten label on it, so it might be. But we've got to do some research. There's just so much stuff that we we just don't know what we have. We've got things stuffed under under display cases and behind closets and we're up to our 
up to our eyeballs and, and treasures that we, we, we just never know what we're going to discover. Wow. Well, I'm surprised you've got time to uh, take off to visit with us because you sh you should be getting behind all of that. <laughs> you've got that much stuff you, you're still not aware of. I know, uh, you, shame on me. You've got a lot of work to do. We do. It's, it's a lifetime's work. But it's fascinating, the things we discover. Well, we just... Um, oh, another thing that's cool. This is just donated. Uh, this just surfaced. It's from the Fairfield Glove Company. And it's a certificate from... Oh, it was Admiral Byrd that went to the South Pole? Right. I get Byrd and Peary mixed up. Peary was the North Pole, I think. Anyway, Admiral Byrd, it's, it's basically a thank you note certifying that the Fairfield Glove and Mitten Factory gave uh, their explorers really nice mittens to keep their hands warm at the South Pole. So, hey, I mean, hey guys, uh, we got about three minutes left. Uh, Mark, you've written a book uh, or, or, or two. Uh, could you tell us a little about that? Well, I've only made done one little book. Back in 1976 for the, for the nation's bicentennial, I did a little book of drawings called Fairfield at the turn of the century. And it's, it's, I think they're like 50 uh, pen and ink sketches of uh, historic buildings in Fairfield. And it's been out of print for ever and ever and ever and ever. Uh, you see them at antique stores now, which is pretty funny. Well, that would be a, an ability for you to find out and identify some of the things you have there that you've mm -hmm. you've just uncovered or or will be about to discover. Well, yeah, keeping an eye out for detail is good. We had a photograph donated that showed, oh, this has been in the 50s, a bunch of little boys running out the front door of their schoolhouse throwing their books and papers at the air because it's the last day of school. Well, I could tell by three bricks around the front door that that was Logan School. Now, you'd have to know Logan School's architecture to recognize that detail, but that's the kind of thing you have to keep an eye out for and, and just kind of put two and two together. And sometimes random facts that surface three years after you had the initial question, that's what finally answers it. So it it's a kind of a, just a hunt and search, kind of a little escapade. It's a lot of fun. Now, the, the pandemic, as we know, has kind of thrown a wrench into a, a lot of uh, major attractions, sure. not just in Iowa, but all over the country. Uh, the hours that you mentioned a moment ago, are those relative to the pandemic and or are there uh, stipulations regarding the the hours that people can come by and, and and view some of these things? And is, is that available at, on your website? Yeah, you know, I don't know if the website's been updated yet. The website will have our old hours, which were just Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday from one to four. Now it's Tuesday through Saturday, noon to three. So we actually have more hours than we did a year ago. Actually, more hours than we had a month ago. So uh, it, that's, that's brand, brand new. We actually closed down for quite a while when the COVID was at its height. And that enabled us to, you know, social distance with one another. 
but get a lot of things organized and reorganized in ways that would not have been possible otherwise. Hey, we're down to about a minute, guys. All right. Mark Schaefer is the director of the Fairfield Museum, and it's a kitty corner to the Fairfield Library. Uh, Well, the library is two blocks away. We're right across the street from First National Bank, just south of the square, one block south of the square. Well, you have piqued my curiosity, Mark. I am eager to see all the things that you've described that are available for folks to see in your museum. Uh, It could be the best-kept secret in Iowa. Well, I think we might be in in the running for that, yeah. It's a very surprising collection. I I, I would imagine that uh, high schools, and and grade schools and college kids uh, would all be enlightened and impressed with everything you've told us you have available there for folks to see, whether they're doing a a project of some sort, a social studies project, or uh, just come in there. I'll give you an example of one of our tours. Uh, This has been Round Guy the Podcast, uh, episode 197. Thanks for listening. All right. No problem. We appreciate your time, Mark. Welcome back to part two of Round Guy, the podcast coverage of uh, the Carnegie Library Museum in Fairfield, Iowa. A quick uh, tag-on discussion with uh, Mark Schaefer, who did not get a chance to finish what he was saying there when we ran out of tape. Go ahead, Mark. All right. Well, as far as, as involving the public schools, that was certainly off the board did not happen during COVID and uh, that was our shutdown time. But before COVID hit, one of my uh, favorite uh, field trips was our Lewis and Clark unit. We had, oh gosh, I think I had a a treasure hunt. I gave the kids this sheet and they had 10 minutes in the Wilson gallery and 10 minutes in the old settlers room to find the stuff on this list. These were all things that Lewis and Clark would have seen on their voyage of discovery uh, 200 years ago. Everything from buffalo horn ladles to uh, mercury in a little, uh, little uh, what do you call it, ironstone jug to medicines, you know, like herbal medicine. And, uh, tomahawks and flintlock rifles, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then I did a PowerPoint presentation afterwards and uh, plugged all these artifacts in to this timeline that outlined their their voyage from St. Louis up to the Northwest and then back again. And I also tied it in with our local history. I know a lady here in Fairfield that has a signet ring that belonged I can't even think of his name now, but he was Dr. Benjamin Rush. One of her ancestors was the man who gave uh, Lewis and Clark's expedition their first aid training before they left. And he's also a signer of the Declaration of Independence. So, you know, tying things like that in with the farmer's market. There's a lady at farmer's market that sells pie. And her husband is a descendant of uh, Sacagawea, the 
Native woman that saved their butt uh, during the expedition. So trying to tie the local collections in with a, a larger picture uh, is, is a very uh, gratifying challenge. Do you have a lot of flags and, and Indian artifacts that go along with some of the uh, flintlock rifles you spoke oh, yeah. of? We don't have – the only flag we have is is the Lincoln Hamlin flag from 1860. We've got, oh, we've got a flag from – American flag from the 20s that was on a, a local boy's coffin. He was shot in China. He was tr buying a – Valentine's gift for his mother. And he'd been told not to go across the street in this one section because it was dangerous. Well, he wanted to get something nice for mom, and so he walked across the street and paid for it with his life. Anyway, that flag is in the collection. And that's one thing I try to do is to, when new things come in, do a meticulous uh, background check on the item so that it has a story. You know, we don't need just a bunch of old stuff. We want to know the person, the uh, situation behind that individual, and, and uh, the story it can tell. Uh, I guess that answers that question. Okay. Mark, Mark Schaefer with the Fairfield Museum. I think you've got your work cut out for you. That everything you've told us that you have available there to view and to, to learn more about is, is uh, it just sounds to me like every high school should bring a field trip to your facility, regardless of where they're located in, in uh, our great state, but would learn an awful lot about the history of Iowa and, and nationally as well. This is a, a fascinating a facility that you have there, and I don't think people know enough about it. Well, you're helping to rectify that situation. That's much appreciated. Uh, we sure hope so. Right now, I think we've got like five listeners, so uh, that's going to be of some help, don't you think? Well, I would think so, yeah. I want to make sure that I get a chance to, to not just meet you, but to... Uh, have you walk us through this museum, and and I'm going to leave that up to my friend Dave Johnson. All right. To uh, make arrangements to do just that. Sounds Give us good. the the social info, uh, social media information again, so folks can sure. can uh, get more information about about your museum. Well, first of all, we're located at 112 South Court in Fairfield, and some of the website. Searches will tell people it's at 114 South Court. That's okay because it's the same lot. It just happens to be the wrong number. Anyway, um, so 112 South Court, www.fairfieldmuseum at gmail.com. No, excuse me. www.fairfieldmuseum.com, I think. You can tell I'm not a technical digital person. And then the email is museum at gmail.com. Okay. And we're on Facebook, I think, and uh, maybe Instagram or tweet. I don't know. Well, got, Google. Got people. 
I got if you if you Google uh, Fairfield Museum Museum, several options ought to pop up, don't you think? Uh, yeah, get, get, get Fairfield Iowa Museum because uh, there's 22 Fairfields in the country, so you don't want Fairfield California or Connecticut. Right, right. Fairfield Iowa and and uh, information should pop up. Mark uh, Schaefer, we understand that you've got some uh, time constraints. You're going to no do another interview, and, and uh, we sure appreciate your time. We'll let you hop off. All right. But, but uh, keep in mind that, that we've enjoyed talking with you and learning more about this museum, and, and down the road we hope you'll agree to talk to us again. I think you can probably twist my arm. Okay. <laughs> Mark, thank you so much. Well, thank you, sir. Okay.